All right. I can't think of a better way to start our fall semester <laughs> off than what just happened. That's that was right. amazing. Boyle and I have dreams. Yeah. Yes. So good. It's great to see all of you. Thank you so much for coming. Welcome to Theology on Tap. If you are new, what we do is um, Brian and I. This, my name is Justin Hare. Uh, it's my friend Brian McGreevy. And we uh, have been doing this throughout the summer. And basically, we have a, a conversation for about 15, 20 minutes each week on a very variety of topics. Um, and throughout that time, you're welcome to. Uh, we have some appetizers around the room, and, and you can grab a beer. But you'll need, you'll see these sheets kind of lying around. You'll need these. At the top, there's a QR code where you can actually submit an anonymous question, and then uh, Colton will be collating all those questions and then posing them to us as the evening goes. And you can like other questions, and hopefully the ones with the most likes will go to the top. So please do. And you don't have to submit a question on the topic, actually, though we're talking about something interesting tonight. We're talking about making decisions, which I think we all could probably get better at, um, and, and finding God's will in making decisions. But we, before we get into that topic tonight, uh, another thing that you will find is uh, uh, this card, and this has our schedule for the fall semester. You will see some of them have are actually magnetized, and you can put them on your refrigerator. This one that isn't, is unfortunately. So cool. I think it's pretty cool. I've never <laughs> seen that ever before. Um, but what we're going to be doing is we do it every other week. and On Tuesdays. On Tuesdays now, not on, on Wednesdays. And on the off weeks, we are starting up a, um, a number of small groups, Bible studies, small groups, and we would love to get you involved in those. So um, one of the things, we've, we've had a little bit of a shift in some of these. So on Tuesday, we've got a young men's Bible study that I'm going to be leading. Uh, we're going to be going through the book of Ephesians. There's also going to be a young woman's Bible study happening at the church with uh, Victoria. Hit. If you could raise your hand, where are you at, Victoria? There you are. There's Victoria. Uh, and then Alex Harrison, she's going to co-lead it with you. Um, and then we've got a, a Thursday small group as well as another third, uh, Tuesday small group where they just kind of discuss the sermon questions that we give. We're um, pastors over at St. Philip's Church down the way here. So uh, we would love for you to go deeper in conversation because this format generally hasn't been ideal for fostering good conversation, though anonymously we get some great stuff. So uh, I really would, you can join these small groups by filling out, um, you can just scan that QR code, find a small group. We would really encourage you to do that. If you want to stay in the loop on all things Theology on Tap, you can join our email list as well. All right. I think that's about it. Okay. Uh, making decisions. Why are we so bad at making decisions? <laughs> well, I think one of the reasons that most of us struggle with making decisions is that we have uh, very often not a very good framework for making decisions. We don't always think about what our priorities and the goals of our lives and what we believe spiritually and faith-wise. And a lot of times decisions happen in the moment and are not particularly well thought out. And that's where that word regret comes from. No and uh, if you got here really early on the playlist, you would have heard uh, Frank Sinatra singing My Way, which is kind of the classic song of if you really want to pick apart a bad theology of decision making, my way is a great place to start. So uh, if you want to do that sometime, call me. We'll go get a beer and I'll tell you all about it. But I love Frank Sinatra, though. Oh, so I do, good. too. He's so awesome. Yeah. The song is just not helpful. But the theology do of decision making is yeah. terrible. Yeah. You know, I think also we've got, if you look just historically speaking, the number of options today compared to even 200 years ago. I mean, most people lived in a, a place where they didn't travel very much. They knew probably what they were going to do for their living. They probably had a very limited number of choices of who they were going to marry. All of that now is laughable compared to the options that, that we have today. And so with the more options, I think, what, what's the term where you're paralyzed with as many? Decision anxiety uh, um, yeah. that comes from living in a pluralistic society. And there's a great sketch by a comedian, it might be Louis C.K., I can't remember who it is, about the bread aisle in the grocery store and about being told that he needs to go buy a loaf of bread. And he goes to the bread aisle and he's like, ah! because they're like 400 different kinds of bread of every kind of grain and ingredient. 
that you could imagine in different colors and different sizes. And he's so like overwhelmed with anxiety that he might pick the wrong one that he just leaves the store and like has a meltdown in his car. And um, and sometimes that's the way life feels. Yeah. You know that there's a lot decision anxiety. Like when I was growing up, that was not a term. If you said that, people would not know what you were talking about. But today, that is a real thing that people are literally paralyzed by decision anxiety. Yeah. No, I, I definitely can relate to some of that. Um, and so I, I think as from a Christian perspective, uh, we, we want to actually make decisions that honor God. We want to be in his will or follow what his will is for us uh, as a Christian. And even as Christians, though, we can be confused and, and struggle with trying to understand God's will. Um, and so when we talk about God's will, in general, I want to try to define a few things. First of all, like we've got... Um, there's really three ways, I think, that people have talked about the will of God. You've got God's will of decree, um, which Deuteronomy 29, 29, I should have looked that up a little bit. But the, the will of decree where essentially what he does is hidden to all human beings. Mm-hmm. It's, it belongs only to God. It's what he has decided from eternity past. Then his will of desire, what he actually has revealed to humanity, what we ought to... Uh, seek to find uh, obey him in mm-hmm. uh, but then a will of direction which is really more of, about guidance but uh, Deuteronomy 29 29 talks about this difference between the will of decree and the will of desire when it says the secret things belong to the Lord our God that's the will of decree but the things that are revealed the will of desire belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. And so we're going to talk a little bit about this, but I think where a lot of people, the rubber meets the road, is in that third category, the will of direction. Where can I find God's guidance on a, a lot of the, the big choices that we find that, you know, this isn't going to tell us exactly who to marry, what job to take, where to live, all that sort of thing. So um, talk a little bit about how we can gain some wisdom in finding God's will of direction in our lives. Yes. So I'm going to jump back a step uh, because I think that's an important way to start the discussion of how you uh, find God's will and those what you might call life choice kind of things. And one of the things that I think we get wrong by and large as a culture, even as Christians, is that we, we have that upside down. And some of y'all who have been coming to these will remember uh, we used some big words uh, a couple of sessions ago about the mimetic and poetic view of the world. Um, mimetic being sort of the idea that God has designed the world in a particular way and that when we live into the way that God has designed the world, we find joy and fulfillment and purpose. And when we are being um, poetic, when we believe it's up to us to define the world and reality, and we try to make our own reality and our own choices, um, that that is like the proverbial square peg and the round hole, um, and it just dooms us to frustration. And I think part of the thing that is interesting is that we, even as Christians, we elevate things like what job should I take, what relationship should I be in, what apartment should I rent? Not that those things are not important, but we put that first. And what God shows us mimetically, if you will, in the scriptures is that he has revealed a lot of his will to us about what he desires for us. That he desires for us to love him with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. He desires that we would love our neighbors as ourselves. He desires that we would follow after him. And if, if you will, it's kind of like an owner's manual. Um, I don't know if anyone here owns an expensive sports car. Um, I do not own an expensive sports car. Sorry to disappoint. Um, but if you do own an expensive sports car, most people that do own them are very careful about how they maintain them. They're very careful about making sure they're serviced regularly, what they put in them. But you know, nobody makes you do that. You could choose if you wanted to, instead of putting premium gasoline into your high-performance sports car, you could think, you know, I do my best runs when I've had a lot of Gatorade. You could pour Gatorade in the gas tank of your Porsche. Um, You have the freedom to do that. 
but your Porsche is not going to appreciate that. Um, that's not going to end well for you. So that's a long way of saying that I think it's important, particularly for us who are Christians, to get more involved on the front end with looking about are we following the part of God's will that we know. Um, it reminds me of that old Mark Twain quote, it's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that bother me, it's the parts that I do understand. And I think for so many of us, we just don't pay attention um, to those things that we might be uncomfortable with and we just kind of want to do our own thing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree completely with that. Sometimes, and the, one of the foundational things that we need to, to realize in, in trying to make wise decisions is, am I even open in the first place to, if God's going to, if he actually wants to give me direction, let's assume that, am I even open to being, uh, to following what he might have to say? I think that's, oftentimes, we're, we're not, if we're honest. We've right. had our made up, minds made up before we go in there. Right. So I and think that's a pretty important foundational Presupposition. Yeah, of really wanting to know. And I think that uh, part of it, too, is that you know, there are certain things that should be part of a decision-making process for people who are Christians. Um, when you are looking at making a big decision, particularly, and the first one is exactly what Justin said, do I really want to know, and will I respond to what I believe God is leading me to do? Um, a second thing is being very clear that you have searched what the scriptures say about whatever issue it might be. Um, it might not be an issue that scripture speaks to, but it's important to be soaked in scripture. It's also important to be in places where you can hear God speak to you. So many of them, if you're like me, you're praying, God, please show me, show me, show me. And you're like running around all the time. You don't ever stop and just listen to what God might want to speak to. And I know in my own life, a lot of times when I've been seeking guidance, the place that God has spoken to me has been in a worship service that I might or might not have wanted to go to, um, but where the sermon will speak or the anthem will speak or during the sacrament of Holy Communion, God will speak and you have a, a sense of God's guidance. And you just think about, well, what if I had chosen not to be here? Putting yourself in spaces and places where you can listen is important. The counsel of Christian friends, people who are older and wiser and more steeped in the ways of the Lord than you are, um, is also, I think, really important in that. Yeah, I, I couldn't echo that um, stronger with the, the counsel element of it, especially being willing to actually listen, and not just to like a friend that isn't going to tell you, I think Proverbs says that the the wounds of a friend are faithful, faithful. and yeah. so uh, having a friend who doesn't just who loves you enough to tell you what they believe to be true based upon and both of this it involves really diving into the scriptures. I, I, I don't think we can o overstate how important that is to be thoroughly going through the Word of God. Um, you know, we're in the middle of a bishop's uh, election process right now in our diocese, and uh, just last night they. Uh, recorded some of these bishops candidates who were um, discerning you know is this what God's calling me to and it was really encouraging great examples of people who are really discerning well they they've had people speak into their lives um, that they've you know that uh, for instance other bishops other friends who are Christians saying you know you may consider I can see God putting this call on your life and uh, maybe it was a resistant kind of um, posture at first, but then they began to receive it. Uh, also, just reading the scriptures every uh, day in and day out, the whole from front to back, year after year, will shape who you are so much, and that you'll begin to have these instincts that should know more about uh, what God genuinely desires for His people. It's, it's, it's wisdom, right? Right. Um, and, and then also the subjective element of, of praying about it, and mm -hmm. I think. Both of the subjective element I get a little um, nervous with sometimes because, you know, if, if all you're going on is what your gut tells you, a lot of times that can be hard to actually uh, tell, is that the Holy Spirit or is that just what I had for dinner last right. night? I don't right. know. <laughs> so, yeah, especially if it was Mexican. Yeah, you yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't want to stake a whole lot on that. <laughs> yeah, and I think one of, the, one of the things that is so important um, when you're thinking about these decisions is to 
think about, particularly the, the bigger the decision is that you're trying to make, thinking about, am I in a good place spiritually as I seek to make this decision? One of the things that you don't want to do is if you are not in a good place spiritually, if you are away from the Lord, if you have been dealing with some sort of persistent sin in your life, or you are out of fellowship um, and haven't been able to worship, that is not the time to be making big life choice kind of decisions. It's really important that you be surrounded by as many uh, scriptural inputs as possible of people who love you and care about you, um, who are godly examples, um, where you're in God's word, where you're in a faith community, all those kinds of things. And one of my favorite scripture passages that I really commend to you to spend some time with as you think about trying to discern God's will, not just for decisions, for um, those kind of life choice things, but sort of overall for your whole life, is Romans 12. And Romans 12 starts off, and I was telling Justin, I always misquote this because I've memorized it in three different versions of the Bible, and so now it's like scrambled eggs. Uh, but it basically says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And I love that because it talks about making yourself a living sacrifice. And that means saying, not my will, God, but yours. Being willing, as we said on the front end, to do whatever it is that you think God may be calling you to. And the second thing is not to be conformed to the world to not let what your friends think or what other people are doing um, confine you in terms of what you think God's call on your life is. And then being transformed by the renewing of your mind, which elsewhere in scripture we know comes from being in scripture and the work of the Holy Spirit in your life um, so that you can prove what the will of God is. That means you're in this process. The word means testing or discerning the will of God. And then a little further on in the passage, it says, having gifts that get differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If, if your gift is service, then in serving. If your gift is in teaching, then in teaching. And part of what that means is if God has made you so you're really good at something and you're passionate about something, part of his guidance for you is in the way he has designed you. And living into that. Sometimes we, as Christians, get the idea, if I want to do that, if that gives me joy, oh, God couldn't want me to do that. He must want me to go be a missionary in the desert um, because, you know, I'm supposed to suffer. Doesn't um, want me to be happy. Right, or have joy. Um, and uh, that, that is a misreading of Scripture. So I'm not going to do a whole sermon on Romans 12, but that, that is a great place to go and spend some time. Yeah, yeah something picking up on that. Oftentimes, I think you can think, well, how do, hearing the voice of God, hearing, um, and not necessarily an audible voice, but that nudge of the Holy Spirit, and trying to, to discern, okay, God, what would you have me do when I'm seeking truly your will? Sometimes we can think that, oh, well, if I'm not actually, like, God might be purposely removing himself based on my works. And I, don't, I, w I would want to caution against that, that God does love us, children. Nobody is perfect in that. We, we, but however, if you think of the image of like a tuning fork, and I think that's what Romans 12 is getting at, is as we become more in tune with God and become more like him through the renewing of our minds, um, knowing what he approves of, we begin to get on the same wavelength mm -hmm. with what he desires for us. So yeah. um, that, I, I think, is important when we think about, okay, well, it's not just um, if you're bad, God's not going to tell you. If you're good, God's going to... Um, to, no, that's not how it works. But we want to be in line with, with his heart, right? Mm -hmm. And his heart is revealed in the scriptures. Um, how would you encourage somebody with re, uh, decision anxiety? Um, I would encourage a couple of things. If you're experiencing decision anxiety, one of the best things you can do is be honest about that in your prayer life with God. Uh, one of the great things about the book of Psalms, uh, if you've never read the book of Psalms, is David is just wide open about all of his emotions as he speaks to God. 
Um, he gets angry with God. He gets frustrated. He, it's just all out there. So be honest with God about that anxiety. I would also say find a trusted and wiser and more deeply Christian friend that you can share that with and have that person pray specifically with you and uh, maybe walk through um, a pros and cons exercise with the decision with that person and get them to commit to pray for you daily um, about that. I think that can be huge in, in walking through that. And the other thing, and when you're dealing with decision anxiety, one of the things we forget, because we live in such a narcissistic culture, it just presses on us all the time, that we think we're the center of the universe. And I'm sorry if this is a shock to any of you. You are not the center of the universe. Sorry about that. Um, but God is much more interested in accomplishing his will in your life than you are. He is much more interested in that than you are. So you're not alone in that battle. And I want to just give a quick movie plug because y'all are so young. You're so young. so young. You probably haven't seen this movie. But there's a movie called Chariots of Fire, uh, which is a movie about the 1924 Olympics um, that is a brilliant movie on so many levels and won every award that there is to win. Um, and oddly, is very much about what it means to follow Christ and to make decisions. And it is a beautiful model of Christian decision making. But one of the things that I love in that is that uh, one of the guys, Eric Little, who's a great runner in that, he's struggling about whether he should run or he should go to China as a missionary. And it's easy to think, oh, of course, if you're a Christian, you should go to China and be a missionary right now or yesterday. Um, and let this running thing go, because that's not spiritual. But Eric Little, um, I think, rightly discerned, he said, you know, I believe God made me for China, but I also believe that God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. And I think that's a great sort of snippet about what it means to be in the will of God. So if you haven't watched that movie, um, do yourself a favor and watch it. It's really great. It's a good one. Oldie but a goodie. Yes. It's not too old. Though. It's all right. Um, not as old as I am. No. <laughs> I, I think, you know, what you said about God caring more about bringing about his purposes in your life than even you do is really important. I think of Proverbs 16 where it says, The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. We think about it's both this... We, yeah, we should pray, we should read scripture, we should ask others for wisdom. But at the end of the day, God loves us. If we're entrusting ourselves to him, we can actually act and rest. Yes. We can have confidence in what he does. This book that I brought, we, we only brought one, two books. Where I was like, what should we bring for guidance tonight, <laughs> books-wise? I was like, we should probably bring the Bible, the Bible. maybe. I don't know, yeah, we never maybe. brought the Bible before. But we should do that. <laughs> what a concept. Yeah, um, and then there's this other book, a, a really short, one of the shorter ones we brought, called Just Do Something, A Liberating Approach to Finding God's Will. How to Make a Decision Without Dreams, Visions, Fleeces, Impressions, Open Doors, Random Bible Verses, Casting Lots, Liver Shivers, Writing in the Sky, etc. Fascinating title. Yes. Um, but what he's getting at is like, you know, all these erroneous ways of thinking God's will, like a maze or a tightrope that you can fall off of, or um, a magic eight ball that, you know, you just take verse out of context, that sort of thing. A better way is to do what we've talked about and then to entrust ourselves to God. And then in Matt, he talks about Matthew 6, where he um, tells us not to be anxious, but to set, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then he will add all the things that we need in our lives. And it, it can be really liberating as a Christian, knowing that God actually cares more about bringing about his purposes uh, than you do. And I think, uh, you know, for you, it was in a church where God really spoke to you. Um, I was trying to think of a time in my own life where uh, I, I was seeking God's will and I felt like he told me. And I was wrong. I was actually discerning who I, I really, I was, this is, uh, I was wondering, okay, there's these two women that I, I wondering, God, which one uh, should I uh, seek to date? I really don't know. And I, I made the wrong decision. I went and like, I w pursued her and, um, 
was like, wow, I, I think this is where it's going to go. And it just never materialized. And I kind of went, but I had journaled, I had prayed, I had asked other people. And I took a few weeks and, and kind of stopped and, Lord, you know, I, may, I just got that completely wrong. Um, and I said, I, I'm willing, you know, I'm not just going to go to the, <laughs> the other one. That would be kind of lame. Um, but I said, Lord, really show me what it is that you would have for me. And in that process, believe it or not, it was, um, that was my wife now that I'm married to. Was, and, and there's a liberating approach that God, you can't run in the wrong direction and fall out of God's will. If you're seeking, if you're saturated in his word, if you're seeking the counsel of others, he will bring about his purposes in yeah. your life. Yeah. And it's very liberating to know that. Um, and, you know, we're human. We can't know perfectly what he's he's going to bring about uh, for our direction. So some of that's free, like this idea of peace before we make a decision. Um, we talked a little bit about that. It's like, yeah, it should be important to have the peace that passes understanding. But as human beings, I don't think we'll ever have a decision that we don't have at least some doubt. Mm-hmm. Is, this, mm-hmm. is this what God's calling me to? And so we shouldn't be afraid of doubt, but we should utilize these things. We've gone way past our time already, as, as always, but... But I still have two more things. So. Go, go ahead, and then I'll let you finish this up. One thing is that a great scripture verse about guidance is from Proverbs 3, and it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. And that, I think, really sums up so much about guidance, about trying to seek God's will and that if you trust him with all of your heart and you're not leaning on your own understanding and you're trying to acknowledge him in all your ways he will make your path straight and that uh, is a source of great joy so that's probably a good thing to stop that is a great one thank you Colton do we have any questions at all everybody figured out God's will probably already in this time so (laughs) so actually can we just try something new tonight? So before we start the questions, if everyone could take 60 seconds to kind of look through them and like the ones that they want answered, Ooh. just so we're addressing the questions that people want to want to hear. So just take a minute to kind of go through. There's a little thumbs up on the right hand side, um, and then we'll get started. I want to go through the questions. they would stay. <laughs> yeah, they have great expressions on uh, their faces. Did you? Yeah, you saw it. I uh-huh. So awkward when you're on the roof bar drinking and you come downstairs and it's a Bible study. With two pri- <laughs> the first thing you see is two priests sitting at the bottom <laughs> yeah. of the look at you. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, oh. like the walk of shame. He's like, uh, <laughs> run away. So the question is, if I feel like God, or if I feel good about the situation that I'm in and the direction, does that mean that that is what God wants me to do? Or if I don't feel good about it, does that mean it's not what God wants me to do? Or something along those lines. Right. And the, the issue with that, there's a great um, 
Lewis quotation about this that is deeply rooted in scripture, um, which is the idea that our feelings are fickle and they have um, much more to do with whether we've had enough sleep or what we ate for dinner or whether we had a good day um, than they do with the ultimate state of our soul. And so that feelings are not a reliable guide. Now, on the other hand, if you have done all the other sorts of things that we've talked about in discernment and you have um, what some people would call uh, peace about something, some people might consider that to be feeling good about it. Um, but I think just an emotion is a very uh, dangerous way of trying to, to make decisions. Uh, because in, you know, when you're in the moment, there's no telling what your emotions are going to do. Yeah, yeah. I add to that. yeah. In general, the subjective element is probably the least weighty of all the factors. Um, the peace or how I feel about it. I would generally tend to what What does Scripture say? What do others who know me well say? I would weigh that far heavily. I wouldn't want to discount the fact. I mean, it's a valid factor. How do I feel about this? But I often don't feel like making my kids breakfast, but I know that's God's will for my life right now is to, to actually do that. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's a factor, but it can't be the only one. Same thing with circumstances, you know. It's like just because God opens or closes a door uh, doesn't necessarily mean you shouldn't uh, find a way to go through that or yeah. whatnot. So. Yeah, good question. How do I become Oh, wow. That's deep. How do I become content with God's plan for my life, even if it wasn't what I wanted for myself? That is a great question. And that is, honestly, sometimes something that is the work of a lifetime to get to that point. Um, Paul talks about in one of his epistles that I've learned the secret of being content in each and every circumstance, whether in plenty or in want. And the... The idea behind that is the only way that you can achieve contentment is when you realize that Jesus is enough. And that sounds trite until you have been in a situation where Jesus really had to be enough. And when you have been in that situation, you realize that is the most wonderful gift that we can be given as humans. But I do think Part of what that means sometimes is letting go of things that are expectations that sometimes have been put onto us by other people or expectations or dreams that we have had on our own and letting go of those things. And this is one of the things that is um, hard about growing older is that as you grow older, when you're very young, particularly when you're a teenager, Every door is open. There's not any door that's closed. But as you grow older and you make choices and commitments, doors close that you can't go back through in the other direction. So, um, but I think that there, there can be great beauty in letting go of those things. Do you want to comment no, on that's, that? No, that's great. I, I'm just like kind of blown away. I, this is a question that comes from a, a heart that has really done a lot of searching and weighing, mm -hmm. I feel like. And so I, I really appreciate it. Um, did we say what the question was? I can't remember. Yes. Okay, good. Um, I think worship is probably th the most important thing you can do is to actually worship uh, in the fellowship of other folks uh, on Sunday, but on your own as well, and cultivating a heart that adores and loves God uh, to, that, that really is not only is he enough but he's your chief delight and knowing that he is supreme and, and your chief good it would be kind of what I would suggest because it's reckon, I mean I didn't want to aspire to the priesthood ever until uh, and that was really out of left field and, but it was right there with you is what God kind of yeah. what he wanted and so I think Recognizing that he actually has a plan that may not be my own, but it, it's always for my, my best. Um, and I think worshiping the Lord and, and seeing his goodness throughout history um, and, and being grateful for the times that he's been good in my own life will cultivate this life of contentment 
where you can uh, begin, hopefully, I mean, what, what begins to happen is that your joy, uh, his joy becomes your joy over right. time. Yeah. And I think that is realistic to expect. Um, and I think that's also something where, um, this may sound crazy, but it used to be very, very common among Christians that people were deeply steeped in the biographies of the saints and that people studied those and read them. And now nobody does that. Um, but there, it's, it's really inspiring when you do that because you read about these people who have such joy, but they have endured things that we would think, well, that's terrible. Yeah, but their joy is not in their circumstances. Their joy is in who Christ is and what he's done. Yeah, and it's, and it's calling their life. I mean, yeah. being joyful to the point of giving up your life for something that he had to woo you into, I think. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, there's mm -hmm. examples of that throughout history. And um, I think of Psalms where it, he delights to give you the, de I mean, the desires of, of our heart, heart yeah. right? And, yeah. But our desires become conformed to his. Mm -hmm. Great question. Yeah. How do you know if you've been called to something? How do you know if you've been called to something? That is another really good question. Um, I think that there are there are several questions to ask uh, as you're going through that process. One is, is what I believe I've been called to um, something that is in accord with scripture, in accord with God's design in my life? Um, God is not going to call you to do something that is contrary to his revealed will. Um, the other thing is if there is affirmation from other people who are um, people who know you and love you and are willing to speak the truth into your life, um, if there is affirmation uh, without your seeking it, particularly that comes spontaneously, um, that can be a pretty good clue about that. Um, I also think, and this is, this is maybe something you have to be a little bit careful about, but sometimes if the prospect of whatever it is, even if you have some trepidation about it, if, if there's a sense that that might be something that would bring great joy to you, that it resonates with your heart and soul in some way, that can be a clue as well. What else would you say about Yeah, you know, I, I keep coming back to this, but the, the idea that we live now, if you look in the history of humankind, I mean, we have been so, we live in a day that's very individualistic. And so we naturally buck against the idea of listening to what others say. And so that's generally where I think now it's really important, precisely because we resist it so much, to listen to the voice of others who um, are seeking after God and who are uh, invested in uh, reading the scriptures and that sort of thing. So um, there's a great quote by Frederick, Frederick Beekner, I think so you pronounce mm -hmm. his name, that um, you're, I'm butchering it now, but your call is where your desires and the, the world's needs meet. Yeah. Right. And that's very good, Justin. That was not terrible. Yeah, that was all right. Um, and, but I think that's important. So it's not just, yeah, you need to have a desire, but I would also add, like, you gotta have some proficiency to it. Like, if you were just, you know, I, I have a desire to, you know, there's plenty of things that I have a desire to that I just simply am not made to, to do. Yeah. Um, and so having some proficiency, and yet realizing that God will equip those who he calls to do it. Yeah. Generally, that's not done overnight, uh, but over the course of your life, that. Uh, so I, I think the biggest thing, again, is just listening to the, the words of a faithful friend or the advice of wise counselors, uh, plural, because that, and that's the hardest to do, I think, yeah. for us. And I think that the idea of being in Bible study and worship is really important. There was a time where um, my wife and I were trying to discern whether we were called to move back to Charleston, and it was um, a very radical step um, if we did that and one of the things that became a major factor in that was that literally every church service that we went to for a month and we were in that phase where like a lot of our friends were getting married so we were out of town a lot so we'd go to churches in different cities every single time for like a month that we went to church 
the sermon was on Abraham being called out of the land of Ur of the Chaldees and being called to go into the new land that God was going to show him. And then also, every time we went to our Bible studies, somebody would share that story. And so it literally was like a dozen times in the space of four weeks. You can say that was a coincidence if you want to. That's, um, pretty, that's pretty good statistics. Right but there, that yeah. was uh, strong. And, but if we hadn't been in church and hadn't been in Bible study, we wouldn't have heard any of that. In the, wake of the, in the wake of the passing of the new Texas abortion law, how do people of faith influence others in their decision-making process rather than forcing them? Okay, so in the wake of the new Texas abortion law, how can people of faith influence others um, rather than forcing them um, with their opinions on that issue? Is that more or less correct? Yeah, so um, most of y'all probably know Texas just passed an abortion law um, that basically says that if there is a detectable heartbeat uh, in the baby in the womb, that abortion is not legal from that point on, which um, shuts down the vast majority of abortions. And I think that... Um, maybe where the question is coming from is the idea of how do we use suasion rather than force um, to try to talk to people about this issue um, and I think that one, one of the things that you can do uh, with that is to uh, look at what the scriptures say about life, um, what the scriptures say about uh, God's creation and being made in the image of God, and then just sort of help if somebody is pro-abortion um, to just talk through with them in a non-judgmental and condemnatory way and just ask questions to try to help understand where they are coming from, and then maybe um, if they are willing, um, supply some data that they may not know. So that's a good question. I, I think it, whether it's the abortion or whatever it is, people generally, um, I think the first thing I would do is to say that to listen well enough that you can actually articulate what they're really yes. saying. Yes. Uh, people will generally feel far more re receptive to what you have to say when you know that, and when they know that you can actually articulate what they're saying. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a starting point in all of these things. Um, I would. Uh, you know, Jeff mentioned this uh, today, actually. But what 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 changes people's hearts is not the law. It's not right. it's not being told what you ought to do. And um, it's kind of similar to you know, it's not what you're against; it's what you're for. And I think both sides of, of, of any issue are going to what you ought to do is try and generally show what you're for. And so I think as a Christian, what you're trying to do is cast a more excellent vision of what God's really about, whether it's abortion or, or whatever it is. Um, and so when you look at the character of God and you look at the, the fact that he's actually trustworthy and good and that's seen climactically in his self-giving at the cross, that is what I think as a Christian is ultimately going to persuade anybody, um, non-Christian or otherwise. Because uh, chances are, you know, if, if there is deep shame or guilt, um, knowing that God's unconditional love and grace has to be first and foremost in all that. And only then can you, I, I think, is most clearly trusted. So starting with those things, and, and then if that's in addition, not um, co complimenting what Brian said, going back and then looking at what he's said about life and uh, his, his value of it, but that's really dovetailing to what you've already said. Yeah, and the other thing I would say, and this kind of goes back to what we were talking about before the questions um, that we should have said in that part, is that Sometimes people who uh, have had an abortion, an abortion in the past feel that God, they have gone so far off from the will of God that there's no coming back um, and that there's tremendous guilt about that. And one of the things that's so important to understand is that God's will for your life is not like a train track 
where if you get derailed, well, you might have you've blown it That's for it. the rest of your life. That going. is not the way it works. It is much more like, um, sorry for another Lord of the Rings uh, example, but Never there's a great scene in the Lord of the Rings when they are there um, with Galadriel and Celeborn and Lothlorien, and Galadriel takes Frodo to the little uh, fountain uh, reflecting pool that's called Galadriel's Mirror, and she shows um, him things that may be, things that will be, and some things that might or might not be. And it's a, it's a great sort of metaphor that God's will is unfolding all of the time, and that it's not like when you make one choice that everything is forever ruined. Now, that doesn't mean that each choice is not important, but it does mean that you can take to heart Romans 8.28, that God will work together for good all things for those who trust in him or are called according to his purpose. I'm a huge planner. How do I find the middle ground between that and God's will? So did you say, I'm a huge planner? Yeah. How do I find the middle ground between that and God's will? Um, that is a great question. I can really relate to that because um, I, I like to plan things um, and I don't like it when my plans don't work out. Uh, but I think one of the things about that is that as you are in the process of making your plans, um, to begin to incorporate into that some pauses and some prayer and some time for counsel from others um, and to hold those plans lightly, because part of the part of the deal, um, many of you know that psalm that talks about thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And I don't know how many of you have ever walked with a candle or an oil lamp. And a candle or an oil lamp is not like the high beam headlights on a car that illuminate the entire road in front of you. The light from a lantern that you hold, which is what that verse is using as an image, is enough to show you the next step. And so one of the problems those of us who are planners have is that we can get ahead of ourselves and we plan out the whole rest of our lives, whereas God is wanting to just show us what the next step is. And so being willing to listen about that and to hold on to our plans lightly, I think it's part of the answer to that. What would you yeah. say about that? Well, you've taught me a lot uh, about this. Um, yeah, what you said is great, but I, I think about where seeing interruptions to our plans <laughs> as actual. <laughs> it might be God's It well. might actually be what God right, has for yeah. us. Um, and, and that's something that's really hard when you're somebody like myself who's very task-oriented as opposed to people-oriented. But I think when you set out with plans and you want to accomplish them, uh, oftentimes, people can be seen as um, you know, obstacles. hindrances, yeah. obstacles to that. So um, that's why I love the book. We've mentioned it plenty of times, The Common Rule, where he talks about praying three times a day on your knees. And he says, by the middle of the day, the second time, everything that I hoped for in the morning has gone so <laughs> messed up that I need yeah. to recalibrate and go back to it. Um, and so, yeah, holding your plans lightly, being attuned to, to what God is doing. I mean, this... We live in a disenchanted world, and our world actually is, uh, it's, God is far more active than we are willing to think of. At least I am oftentimes. I'm guilty of that. It's wanting to see God at work in, in my day-to-day -day lives, and he's often in the faces of people that have interrupted my plans. Yeah. And so, yeah. I don't know if that answers. So it's, it's 8.30. I think it's 8.29. Yeah, let's one do, last let's do one, one more. more. Say that again. How can I slow down more in my day to pray? Yeah. Okay, that is a great question. Uh, part of that is deciding in advance that you're going to do it. Uh, one of the things that struck me so much about my feeble prayer life was when I was in my old job, and one of the places I had to go regularly on business was uh, Malaysia and Singapore. And so we'd be up in these office towers, and I'd be in these 
conference rooms with all these guys in their Armani suits and Gucci shoes. And then the call would come out from the Mahedon over the loudspeakers, and their prayer rugs would come out. The business meeting would stop, and they would get down and do the Islamic prayers in the business office. Well, that's not what most of us who are Christians do with our prayer life. And I'm not saying it needs to look like that, but what I am saying is that if you don't have goals where you set a time and a place and a rhythm of prayer for your life, you will never slow down to do it. If you wait until you feel like it and you think, think about it, unless you're much better organized than I am, um, that's not going to happen. But if you decide, I'm going to start every day, and this is one of the things a common rule helped me with so much, if I'm going to start every day, the first thing when I wake up, on my knees in prayer, that is a practice that can become a habit. And what you want is for your prayer life to become a habit where you have at different points during the day times where you do stop and slow down to pray. This is good. We didn't really touch on much of the role of silence or retreat to actually hear and, and discern. I think that's really important. We see Jesus doing that throughout it. But the question specifically is about how do I slow down during my day? And, um, you know, for those of you who are working fast-paced jobs, I mean, that's a good thing. You shouldn't necessarily slow down and do these things that need to be done at a fast pace. But, however, you think of the Justin Early, uh, who wrote that book, The Common Rule. I wish we brought it. Um, he's a lawyer, and so it's a very fast-paced thing. But it, it almost is this really kind of uh, jerky, you know, uh, awkward kind of, I'm going to do this. And he's committed to doing it. And it's, it's like 30 seconds or a, a yep. minute. It's yep. just the, the, the act of doing it. And whether you need some sort of form in set prayers or if it's something that you're doing, uh, any of that's good. It's just committing to it. Doing it with other people is it's a great huge. way yeah. to um, find some accountability with that. So uh, just having the habits throughout the day, you'd be amazed how much one minute even, um, you know. Can over, shift your whole focus. Yeah, over the yeah. course of four or five hours throughout the day. And I have a friend that sets an alarm on his phone every four hours. And when it goes off, he takes wherever he is a minute or two to just pray and he said that helps them reframe everything because you get you know going and whatever is on your mind but that stops you and makes you refocus yeah. so. well thank you all so much for coming this has been yes, a, a lot of fun as always for us feel free to take these home with you um and we'll see you next not next week but the week after we've got um, remember, sign up for uh, small groups, Bible studies. We've got those And next the week. podcast is up now. Yes, it is. So you can go to Apple Podcasts and find us, or you can go on St. Philip's website and find us there. Feel free to hang out. Thank you so much to Adam and all those at Henry's who have given us a space. Feel free to stick around for a little bit and uh, yeah, tip well. So thank you.